You're listening to Oxide Film, written and directed by Matty O'Donovan and Tom Sayre. Hello and welcome to Oxide Film with Tom and Matty. Hello Matthew. Hello Thomas, how are you? I'm okay. It's been a slightly drizzly couple of days, but we're in the studio on Tuesday morning, ready to record. Playing it fine before it gets uh, sent exactly. out Exactly, we've world. only got a few hours to edit, but there we are. Anyway, should we jump straight into the film? Let's go straight in. Once again, we are indebted to Phoenix Picture House in Jericho for providing us with complimentary tickets to see this movie. We recommend going to Picture House every single week. For students out there, you can get a 25 quid membership, which gives you two free tickets and discounts on food and drink in the entirety of Picture House selection. Don't forget the free popcorn when you sign up. Cannot recommend thoroughly enough. Thank you so much, Picture House, again, for giving us tickets. And so we went to see Late Night this week. Indeed we did. Should I give you a brief overview? Go for it. So the film's premise is set on Molly Patel, played by Mindy Kaling, who's also a co-writer for the film. She plays a aspiring comedy writer, previously factory worker, trying to infiltrate a male-dominated, was-dominated writing crew for a late-night talk show host, uh, played by Emma Thompson, whose her character is Catherine Newbury. Should we jump straight into a clip? Let's go for it. Enjoy this clip from Late Night. Uh, if I may, I just want to say it is such an honor to meet you, Miss Newberry. I'm Chris Reynolds. Uh, my name is Eugene Mancuso, and when my parents got divorced, this show... I don't show... know who any of you are. I don't know who any of them are. Um, oh, well, uh, Tom? I'm, I'm Tom. I, uh, I write the monologue. Uh, I'm actually the youngest monologue writer in the history of the show. No, 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 I, just, I don't care. No? Okay. Do you know what? I'm not going to remember any of this, so here's what we're going to do. Um, you're one, two, three... Four. Hi, Catherine. Oh, Birdie, thank God. How's your baby? She's 27. Her baby's doing well. She's just started preschool. She's, uh... Never mind. I, d- I don't want to know. I don't know why I asked, actually. You're five, six, seven. That's what I'm going to call you all from now on. It's just easier. Are we allowed to call each other by our own names? Just, just learn the numbers, Reynolds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, two? Yeah. Can one and I switch? I'm, I'm just, I'm the most senior writer. I'll take seven, seven. Okay, can we just get into it now and see if we can salvage anything worth taping? So that was a clip from Late Night. So obviously you can kind of see that Emma Thompson's character is intentionally disassociated from her writing staff and that kind of fuels part of the comedy slash drama of this film as in in a bid to innovate her show which has been declining in ratings for years now. She attempts to bring in new blood which the writing team deemed to be a diversity hire in the form of Molly Patel, as I said at the start. When we went to go see uh, Booksmart last week and we saw the trailer for this, I got strong Devil Wears Prada vibes. And it's it's not like it doesn't break that mould. It follows very similar beats to that film, but there's much more of a focus here on Emma Thompson, the host, rather than the outsider trying to make it big. Uh, what were your thoughts on that? Mm, yeah, so the funny thing is about this movie is that it's very easy to condense the plot and we can get straight into the analysis quite quickly mm-hmm. once we've just said very preliminary things. So basically it does follow Emma Thompson, this late night show host, who eventually realises that she needs to hire a woman because it seems that she has a apparent problem with women mm-hmm. and has also a big problem with public perception. And, and change. And change, exactly. And over the course of the film she learns that to save her show, which has quite low ratings at that moment, she needs to change the way that she approaches having guests on the show and changing up her whole persona and becoming more personable and finding her heart. So when Molly Patel comes in, she 
offers her own advice of how to change the monologue and make it more spicy and make it more personal and make it more interesting and more political i think is a is a big thing as yeah well. exactly and over the course of the film that those two bond and in a weird way it's sort of it like all, all you need to know about the plot is that the developments is that emma thompson's character learns how to be more personable and how to give up her pursuit for excellence that is apparently part of her character and like I said, it does follow similar tropes to other films you might find in this genre, as in, you know, an earnest newcomer oversteps their mark and earns the wrath of the talk show host, Emma, Emma Thompson's character. So the relationship between Catherine and Molly isn't just cut and dry. They hate each other, they love each other. It's intentionally a bit more earnest and it relays into whether or not Molly can prove herself. I mean, I know we sort of have an issue that we'll probably get into about it not being entirely consistent, but it does change up the way in which those that dynamic is usually presented in a way that was quite refreshing. Hmm. That's fair enough. So I think the opening note is, of course, Emma Thompson, and she is a, a national sweetheart, as we all know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the nation's heartbreaker stories as Karen in Love Actually Anna Rickman's wife who eventually gets betrayed and she has a somewhat too passive role if you're looking at it from a feminist lens but still as beautiful. The best film of all time is obviously Nanny McPhee and she plays Nanny McPhee um, which is, I haven't seen that film for a long time but I that again. she played Nanny McPhee. I, I mean so, so did I. She's yeah. so covered in like prosthetics yeah. that you, you forget it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah I mean that film is wonderful as well and what this film is successful in doing is just giving her enough screen time because yeah. if you have Emma Thompson on screen for enough of the movie then you're kind of you're kind of okay because she's just so charming and her voice is lovely and she just has a way of commanding the yeah. screen and I think that's definitely baked into the, the story as in part of what this comedy is talking about is as I was saying to you before we, we started the show those late night British exports for talk shows in America James Corden John Oliver it's about having that kind of charismatic personality that you know like almost in a meta way you know she has and that is very much at the crux here because as you see she transitions from you know like a Victoria Wood inspired comic from the 80s with the sort of floppy hair and the garish fashion to this more refined presenter but you see that in a bid to remain refined and slightly above her guests and above the people she works with she's ostracizing them and she's losing what she was well known for previously and it's nice that they kind of use a face like like hers like emma thompson's because it is so familiar it's so affable she is such a great personality and as you said she's a national treasure Hmm. so putting her in that american context was was really really smart casting and speaking of affable faces mindy kaling is is good i mean i i am a fan of her from the animation stuff she's done so she was an inside out as disgust and wreck it ralph She's a proficient comedy writer. I mean, uh, part of this story is semi-autobiographical, as in she was the diversity hire in the US remake of The Office, what, about 10 years ago? So that she does have insight, and obviously she's had other shows like The Mindy Project. You know, she is a proficient writer, and you need that for a story like this if you want to make it authentic. And crucially, as I feel like this film doesn't really ever get close to, preachy which I'm really glad isn't the case. You know, it's it's refreshing, it's insightful, it talks about privilege in a way that isn't just 
a character assassination. Okay, interesting. Because I, I thought it was a bit more preacher than mm. you might have thought, but we'll get to that in a sec. I guess it's also worth noting now that Mindy Kaling actually wrote the role of Catherine specifically for Emma Thompson, oh. um, and we know that. So that kind of also translates on screen because, as you say, the experience of Mindy Kaling in her own life writing for The Office kind of pours itself into this movie as a sort of as a project in some sense. And in a similar way, if she wanted Emma Thompson for the character kind of comes across because of how much of a fan she is in the movie of the character Catherine Newbury and also the two people, Mindy Killing being a fan of Emma Thompson in, in real life, kind of works quite well. No, definitely. And I think there's sometimes casting that is inspired just by, you know, coming up with one person that you constantly look to the role for and then therefore it becomes the actor benefiting from their own reputation but also the role benefiting from the actor. And I think that is the case with this. Um, so I, I guess we could go quickly into camera work or technical stuff of the movie. Ultimately, this is quite, for me, quite a run-of-the-mill comedy in terms of shooting. So it's kind of an example of the fact that you can have short reverse shot movies forever mm. and no one's really going to notice. Um, but this, despite it being quite generic, there are moments of the camera work being too snappy and, and being a bit disorientating for the viewer, basically. And I, I think that it, it felt at times a bit sloppy in terms of how it was presenting itself well I, I, it is interesting because I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you in, in that regard it, it can be disorientating but I do think that's part and parcel of the kind of screwball comedy style that these films go for and the cynic in me goes how do these films like this get off the ground well they're cheap to make they don't really outside of the star power don't really require much funding i mean i i found it amazing to see that there was a stunt performer but i guess that's the case for every film these days mm. but the point being is as i said the screwball col- comedy element means that i don't think the camera work is always of priority i don't think it suffered like too yeah. substantially because of it but but you are right it wasn't horrific and actually i noted down at one point when Mindy Kaling's character Molly gets introduced to the office and being told how everything works around here mm-hmm. and everything. There's a nice little dolly montage where they kind of swipe across very slowly looking across each room. Mm-hmm. And actually, that was just one moment that I thought worked really well for, for the camera, basically. And my friend Ben, that I went to go see it with once again, shout out to Ben, m- uh, mentioned at the end of the movie that basically the whole film is filmed on tripods and basically with, with still cameras. And at the end of the film, when we have the emotional monologue from Emma Thompson's character, that's more handheld. And we kind of see the character of the camera being taken apart and, and then and that symbolising that emotions are coming into into play, which is yeah. a nice little... And I, I mean, I don't point. know how much we want to read into it, but it, it definitely indicates that vulnerability as well, as in things being a little less steady, as we will find out as we talk about the, the film's uh, climax in a little bit. Yeah. But just moving on from that... Part of one of the issues I may have with the film, I think, is that there is a kind of problem that might arise when you're doing a comedy about comedy writing or about the making of comedy, in that you have a possible dilemma that arises when the comedy that is in the internal logic of the film, as in like the, the sketches that they're doing, is a pale comparison to the comedy that is derived from the making of it. And I think this film had that slight issue. And by that, I mean, simply, the jokes in the actual sketches in the talk show weren't as funny as the hijinks to get there. And I know that's intentional, but it meant that the shift from Molly being this sort of earnest, slightly obtrusive newcomer to being a competent comedy writer didn't feel particularly abrupt because the quality of jokes didn't change. 
particularly much. And one example I'll give you is, so the big kind of moment of change that she has in the second act, start of the second act, is that she writes a joke that's quite political about abortion uh, that gets a lot of laughs and gets put into the opening monologue, but uh, Catherine Newbery decides to remove it. And then, as one of the reviews I read about this pointed out very astutely, they put the joke in a week later to show some kind of character growth, as in they finally accepted to be political on the show. But it doesn't really make any sense, because that joke would have already been expired by then. And that was one of the issues I had. The jokes didn't quite line up when it came to that the all internal logic of the film. Yeah, and that's the problem perhaps we can agree with actually in the film in that in the, um, when Catherine Newbury is on her own show late night, when she starts cracking these jokes, it isn't the funniest experience. And the, the heart of the comedy of the film when you're watching it in the cinema or at home, whatever, is the fact that it's these relations between Mindy Kaling and her struggles with the wasp-like white men in the in the office or between her and Emma Thompson. So I agree with you in that in that sense. And the and there could have been more work to be done in terms of making it feel like a more authentic late night show because in the movie we have actually Seth Myers kind of having a little cameo bit part. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um and there are lots of references to, you know, Jimmy Kimmel and that kind of thing. So in the world that it wants to inhabit, it wants to be a real thing and it wants to inhabit the real New York of having these talk shows around you that that exist in real life as well. And, and I, I think it does work in a certain respect if you're looking at this from a sort of meta critique about talk shows, as in they're never really the most biting comedy in America, but they do the job because they have to get a show out every day or every other day. So in that regard, it was never going to be amazing jokes being delivered, and I think that's part of like the parody of it. But I don't know, it just felt like the shift wasn't strong enough for me to notice if I wasn't paying attention really, really attentively. Yeah, that makes sense, I think. Um... So I guess on some similar notes in terms of the comedy, do you want to have a chat about how the comedy works between Mindy Kaling and the white people, or white men of the office? Mm-hmm. Um, because I think quite a lot of the comedy of the plot revolves around her struggles to be noticed and identified as a valuable member of the team. And that is a struggle because of how she's seen as a diversity hire. And there's a crucial scene where you know she chats with Emma Thompson's character and Catherine Newbury tells her, if you want to be not a diversity hire or more than that you have to show that that is what you are mm-hmm. um, and then it was when it's just between Catherine Newbury and Molly Patel the film shines more because it is ultimately two women having a conversation um, which is I think what Mindy Kenning wanted to have out of the film and when Catherine Newbury says like you know I've been accused of sleeping my way to the top loads and loads of times but it's the fact that I'm still around and I'm still doing my job and being seen as something else that is that is what counts. Yeah, I mean, I really, really love that scene and I think what it possesses is a realist streak that the overall film tries to encompass in that looking at privilege, the issues with it, exclusion based off gender or and or ethnicity and going, look, we're not 100% there, but it means that the people who are suffering that discrimination or being considered diversity hires, such as Molly's character have to be have a sort of realist approach about playing the game a little bit and it is interesting because not to bring it back too much to devil wears part of it it's like the similar kind of dynamic about you are an outsider irrespective of where you are from you don't know this industry and i think that's what the whole idea of discrimination is playing off and you're right that scene when they are talking is the most authentic it is the most sincere it ushers in the most nuance in the film But I think what I did like, and this is where we might disagree, is as I've said at the top of the episode, I didn't find it 
that preachy because of that realism. So, for example, the, the, the kind of dynamic we have with the head monologue writer, as was shown in that clip, um, and Molly's character is that she can't stand him at the start because he represents that kind of nepotism and that privilege. Uh, but we soon discover that he's a little bit more than that. And not to give him more credit, but as in not to just immediately shut down him as a person because of this privilege he's been able to achieve. And Catherine Newbury says that herself. She goes, if privilege and snobbiness is the, the worst you can say about him, then maybe he isn't that bad. And I think that kind of cooperation is what Kaling's trying to get out of the script. And it's something that I'm glad she went down that route because loads of people could level criticisms of her being preachy if it was just like, look at these people that have had this privilege. Like, you have to move forward. And it's difficult. It is difficult. Yeah. Um, I think smartly. I think the thing is that the as the, the cooperation note, I kind of agree with, but the issue becomes the tension in the script between wanting to have the cooperation and wanting to have those like gotcha moments because mm-hmm. there are lots of gotcha moments that there's a bit where like you know it happens that tom this this writer guy is on the phone and talking about mindy kaling in negative ways and she happens to be behind him or whatever and then he notices and she says at least i had to be a woman and a person of color to get here all you had to do is is be born yeah. <laughs> in the nepotism sense so i think the issue i have is that it tries to fuse those moments of like haha like check your privilege mate get owned with actually let's move past it because in the second half of the film you're right it does get to that position and there's a nice interesting conversation they have where tom mentions that this other guy charlie who turns out to be a nasty piece of work he says you know in the past they had had a a negative friendship and quite a toxic relationship but he had to move past it because in the workplace he had to choose whether to be someone's enemy or, or their friend yeah, there's no middle ground if yeah. you've been with someone for 18 years as he says yeah exactly and yeah I, I think that is true and this might seem like a stretch of comparison but i think that when you use characterization to represent an absolute problem in society and evil then you're kind of already straightjacketing yourself. So the issue that I think you, what I see you might be crit- critiquing here is the fact that if you have someone representing that privilege, for the sake of an easy screwball comedy, it might go, well, it's better to just treat them as that kind of figure of privilege. Um, I don't know why this comes to my head, but the comparison that comes to mind is is in Green Book. You know, when we were talking about how the fact that Tony Lip's character is like an absolute racist at the beginning, but then slowly becomes like more tolerant i don't agree with that i think that's bad characterization because it's too much of an extreme character change to make sense but it speaks to the wider problem that if you try and represent someone as or you try and have someone as representative of an issue then you're already putting yourself in a corner in terms of making them a compelling character so the fact that they they don't immediately say right this is him this is the evil character that we have to do the gotcha moments with that was nice i like that it was a bit refreshing yeah i understand actually i i kind of i see your point in terms of wanting to make sure that a character isn't boxed in <laughs> i guess the, the the vast umbrella point for me is i kind of noted down in the movie that i felt like it was dying by its own sword and by the power it was trying to convey in terms of both characterization and issues that it was betraying in terms of people in the workplace and discrimination and male privilege as well and white privilege I just felt like it was killing itself because it was showing all these things, but then not doing enough work to explain why that was um, the case in the first place instead of just saying, look what we need to do in the future. So so I noted, like, ever heard of lampshading because it a lot of the film felt like 
they're noticing issues and saying what they are out loud but apart from the very very end where there was a nice kind of montage of showing what the workplace could look like with a more diverse crew apart from that it just felt like it wasn't doing enough to actually resolve the problem so lampshading is a common issue in tv as well so there's a, there's a great channel on youtube called pop cognitive detective mm-hmm. who talks about lots of masculine issues and identity in, in films and tv and i really recommend it and there's a couple of episodes about big bang theory and he was tr- trying to dissect the ways that big bang theory treated women and overt sexism is in he the, characters. the one that had the adorable misogyny yeah that's the one yeah, yeah the adorable misogyny of the big bang theory mm-hmm. and that was basically about how you know the jokes were about the characters being misogynistic and sexist but then pointing that out and being like haha like we we know that they are but that's lampshading because it's like that's just saying like noticing so say, saying that you know what the character's problem is without saying this is why it's wrong and this is why we should change it well yeah and i think it's also acutely lampshading because they are supposed to hide behind the image that they're a sort of meek well-meaning nerd you know what i mean like the, like it's a stereotype in of itself about people who have nerdy characteristics being excusable from that kind of misogyny mm-hmm. i think that's exactly and i guess there were just a couple of jokes that they made in this movie late night where there are a couple of, a couple of characters who are the white men you know one of them says oh i wish i could have been a woman of color because then i would get a free job and then someone else is like you can't say that anymore and like the, the joke there is just the wait you can't say that anymore that's yeah. a relic of the past but there wasn't i just don't think for me i don't think it did enough of a good job to properly dissect that and to invite every person watching it to understand exactly what the problem there is instead of it just being ho ho oh yeah. no that's a bad thing that you yeah. just said pointing that stuff out isn't it or it should not be the threshold for what the comedy warrants in films like this i still really really loved it because i think it had that personality but we'll leave a link for the av club review of this film because i found it really interesting because it touches on a lot of what you said and the way that it ends probably surmises or summarizes sorry everything that we've been just discussing the last five minutes, which is the film attempts to clean up after itself once it's presented these issues out, you know, to its audience. And some people might go, well, it's a lighthearted Rob that has a bit more heart, had touches these issues a bit more substantially. Or some other people might go, it was trying to go down this route of tackling these issues full on and it did it with a too delicate and light of a touch. I'm more inclined to the former just because I enjoyed the personality of the story and because I don't think the film is just 100% dominated by these issues like I think that it's not just a case of them doing sort of male privilege uh, discrimination poorly it's that it's just one of many balls they had in the air and it was one that didn't quite pay off as well so sort of just shifting from that the other sort of key aspect of this film is Emma Thompson's character, Catherine Newbery, her interactions with her and her relationship with her ill husband who is suffering from Parkinson's and is played by John Lithgow. Now, big, big spoilers, if we hadn't done it already, it's revealed, but though you kind of get an inkling of it at the start, that she has cheated on him after he'd been diagnosed because she was sort of vulnerable and left alone and he was in strong bout of depression because of his illness. Now, this gets publicly announced through like twitter and all of these gossip mags kind of speculating did she or did she not have uh like an extramarital affair with one of the lead writers which turns out to be the guy at the start charlie who's supposedly nice to um, molly so that's the kind of you know switcheroo about the characters what did you think about their dynamic because i found it really really heartfelt and it felt more 
honest than your standard kind of cheating side story in a in a film yeah i actually agree a lot and the thing about that was that john lithgow i thought was great so he plays winston churchill in the crown and he's an american actor but he yeah. you know he is um i, I noted uh, in a in a couple uh, of scenes early in the film that he is this sort of really nice quiet addition where he's this onlooking husband that perhaps we can see some kind of gender reversing stuff in terms of the, the passive husband and the active wife but it does become more than that because earlier on he he is just figures as a person of support in her life and, and an anchor and as he finds out about the affair there's a bit where emma thompson's trying to call him and he's not responding so she can tell that he doesn't want to speak to her mm-hmm. and then later on he calls her back and then they have a chat and he basically says you know if i want to remember this one moment of like infidelity or, or badness then I also have to remember the million times that we've had a, a nice time together or like spent time with love in our hearts, whatever. And it was just a nice way of, of showing, uh, of having the message run home of like, you can make mistakes. And if the people who really love you in your life will know that it hurt them and let you know that, which is why you need to be sorry. But at the same time, we'll tell you that it's okay if you remember what your relationship with them is meant to be like. Mm-hmm. So he is actually really good like i felt like he yeah like i said brought this really tender energy to it and and in the scenes that he has with mindy kelling's character as well in this party that Catherine mm-hmm. newby has to host at her house mindy kelling ends up having a small chat with him and he just he just brings what he needs to in mm-hmm. the film yeah he's definitely used sparingly but in in in, in a good way and what i did like in relation to his character was the idea of a younger generation versus an older one in terms of how they resolve conflict problems in their relationship. So like one of the kind of affable but slightly quirky traits of Mindy Kaling's character is that she's almost overly earnest. So when she finds out that, you know, Catherine has has cheated on her husband, she goes, you have to go on TV and, you know, apologise and renounce and say that you also have been kind of a semi-victim of slut-shaming and that's a whole different other part of the film which doesn't really quite land but the point being is she wants her, her to have this sort of comeback based on their relationship and what I really really loved about this film is the fact that Emma Thompson's character goes no your your generation has this weird obsession with catharsis in that you are redeemed in the public eye so you are redeemed in all walks of, of your existence like your husband will forgive you because you've you've gone and gone through this baptism of fire which is really nice because then you're you're put in a dramatic position where you go well how's the film going to resolve in a satisfying way if she's outright refuses to go on and for a brief moment i thought she was going to change her mind and go on t- tv but she doesn't she has that re- reconciliation with her husband in which he makes the decision to forgive her and then afterwards she goes back on tv onto a show to sort of explain her actions and I really enjoyed that because it meant that she didn't have this sort of overly dramatic slightly cloying moment where she's like please forgive me on tv and he sees it like that's where I thought the film was going to go and I'm glad it didn't mm. the, the obsession with catharsis line is a big money line in the yeah. movie and I guess again it's, it's a question of whether you think that it that it actually does end up doing what it denies in terms of her going for that catharsis at the end of the movie where like we're, we're meant to like there's this kind of whole side plot of um, 
Catherine Newby being cancelled by her producer and then being replaced by another comic who's just like ghastly. By, uh, Ike Baronholtz, yeah. the guy, the, the, guy the, from the... Blockers and yeah. other comedies of that ilk. There's like ghastly frat boy character yeah. who <laughs> has no like real authentic sense of humour. And at the end of the movie, you know, as it cathartically runs out, the producer says like, actually, yeah, you can keep your show, but I've got my eye on you. Ha ha, like mm-hmm. wink, whatever. And it felt like it kind of forgot its own message of you're obsessed with catharsis, this new generation. I don't like that. And I guess that's, in some sense, Catherine Newby learning to have compromise with what she sees as a problem because of her obsession with excellence. So the one point there is that a couple of times in the movie, she's told you're obsessed with excellence and like being superior. And there's never really a point where we see that in her own actions, I think. And I think it's more thrashed on the character than that just feels like a bit of weak writing yeah well i mean i think that speaks to like an issue we can just uh, move on to then is that it is kind of reiterated strongly throughout the film that she is this comedy titan or comedy genius who was at her height probably in the 80s and 90s and has slowly been declining now one of the lines that her her team her writing team says probably nearer to the end of the film is going we're not with you because like you're nice We're, we're with you because you're good but the issue is, is that, like, she isn't the sum of the parts of the comedy show. You know what I mean? As in, what ma- what's making the show good by this point in the film is this concerted collective effort on behalf of the writers. So it seemed like a weird irony to be throwing that lay out into the film. And I felt like it didn't quite land. Yeah. So I think, basically, it does fall victim to its need for being a feel-good movie by the end mm-hmm. and the fact that it raises these interesting questions without fully resolving them in my eyes is is a is a pity because i think it could have gone in an in a even more edgy direction so what i find funny is that when the film does go in the direction of more edgy political humor that's when it actually starts to really shine and that like uh, there's this kind of question of whether Catherine newby is going to own her personality and mm-hmm. show what she actually thinks and like the producer when she's starting to fire her tells her just give, give a damn for once and actually show that you care about something in the real world and that's the whole abortion joke earlier on because she reveals her like you know her pro-choice stance as well as her kind of opinion about republican senators it, it, uh, is, it is really interesting because i can totally see why a film like this was greenlit uh, not in a negative way i just understand that you know in this kind of populist period of, of political commentary where you know the whole tired truism is that you know we laugh at our politicians and we listen to our comedians there is a significance in having a strong assertive political stance on one of these comedy shows john john oliver last week tonight is the perfect example of that that has such a strong audience interest in it because of that political edge and you're right this 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 film could have maybe pivoted in a direction that examined more why that satire is so present so important but it it did have to balance that with a kind of not romantic comedy but a romance of comedy that kind of glorifies it in a way that isn't the full truth nor does it express the kind of intricacies and bad parts the ugly Mm. parts of it the romance of comedy is a good way of putting it because obviously mindy kaling's character is kind of obsessed and in love with the art of comedy and (laughs) she's revealed that she watched Catherine Newby's show for years and years and years and is obsessed with the art and wants to give her own take on it and it ends up being quite good at that. Mm-hmm. But I guess, as I say, when it starts taking itself in directions of edgy humour in the script itself, that actually becomes really funny to me. And like the, the issue is in the film, how do you make 
a conversation about white privilege really funny because there's a, a segment where Catherine Newbury ends up having these strange parts of her TV show where she goes out and and acts the white saviour but kind of takes it to extremes and kind of talks to black folks in the street and asks them, have you ever felt discriminated against? And then she kind of calls a taxi for them and they're like, I didn't want a taxi. And then she's like, I don't care, like get in the taxi or whatever. And the joke is her being kind of overplaying the sense of like white people helping out other people in the world. But again, it never got past that and it, it, it still felt like haha look we're noticing that this is a problem and also making a joke out of it but it didn't get to the point where it was properly shocking or properly funny to me because it just felt like it it was just trying too hard to tell everyone that was watching it that they knew what they were talking about if that makes sense so it feels as if the conclusion you seem to be coming to is that there was almost a superficial element to the way that they were treating some of these subject matters and i'm not disagreeing with you i think that is the case but i think that sometimes a film sets out to do several different things at once and it achieves certain things and that's often at the expense of other things the problem is if you take a head-on approach with this stuff when does it stop becoming a comedy Uh, and that that sounds like i'm i'm copping out here and saying that you can't have a really insightful satire that's hilarious and also touches on these matters but i'm i'm really inclined to think about funny people which is judd apatow's 2009 film adam sandler very protracted definitely in need of a cut but it it, it, that film has its own kind of not cult fan base but particular fan base because it's not your standard comedy it's about a man trying to cope with a terminal illness who's also happens to be a comedy titan in his own right so i sort of drew those comparisons but that film decides to sacrifice some of the comedy for more of the real life drama and the kind of black comedy to come out of that whereas this film goes in the opposite direction and it's all down to the audiences sometimes some people prefer the former others the latter but you are going to get that superficiality that said it was enjoyable it's it's nice to watch you can just sit back and enjoy it and and it had those nice little wrinkles in the story that made you go oh that that's that's clever that's smart writing and you can't ask for much more i think ultimately for me as you say with a film like this it's not meant to be revolutionary it's not meant to be a thing that divines culture or anything and and to put those expectations on this kind of movie would just be unrealistic and and be too fanciful for me to do and it is just a film that's meant to be a bit of fun and a comedy Mm -hmm. basically and and as i walked out the cinema with with my mate ben he did note you know not every film has to be the existential masterpiece that that you kind of like yearn it to be basically and they can just be experiences that are more momentary or less deep and ultimately as well emma thompson as i said earlier once you have enough screen time with her the film will warm up and, and your your heart will feel warmed even if you aren't that engaged and just because she's really fun to watch and, and has enough going yeah. for her on she, screen. She, she, she is a standout performance and it's deeply ironic because her character is so emotionally distant to most people in the first place which kind of I imagine speaks complete, completely contrary to Emma Thompson in real life. I, I love her performance, I think Mindy Kaling does an excellent performance, they do have a strong supporting cast, I mean not many particularly like standout performances in, in, in that regard but those two are at the core so it's it's important that they're doing a good job i think just to conclude at least on my thoughts on this is that i i often realize it's sort of this also draws back to what we talked about with Booksmart last week is that with comedies it's a yardstick that you're constantly moving incrementally 
between different directions about where you want to take the comedy. As in, it's very rare you'll come across a comedy that people enjoy that has completely broken the mold. As in, people have different tastes, and it, and that's never more cute than it is in that sense of humour. So it means that I think with the comedy genre in film, I always see it to be has it done something slightly different to what a whole lot, a whole slew of boring, mundane comedy films that have no thought or passion into them have done has it done something like that Booksmart did that this film does that it's that personality and if you can nail that then you're already halfway there I think the other half is the more difficult element to really like place your stamp on it but it it does have that personality I'm very glad that you you had that in that film basically I think for me it did feel a bit more bland and maybe just a bit too sloppy for me to fully appreciate it as as a probably made piece of work because there were just moments where I just thought that it felt obvious that it was produced quickly as a movie but that said it was still warm by the end and and again Emma Thompson brings enough to it and brings enough verve to it with John Lithgow and with Mindy Kaling that go, it's I mean go for Emma Thompson alone you know I mean the, her performance is excellent and the fact that she's like in so many big blockbusters and so many big films at the moment like Men in Black was one that came to my mind is good because she's a tremendous actress and she deserves that recognition she reminds me like her and Glenn Close are two actresses I always feel that like don't get the recognition that they deserve so it's really nice that she gets like a front and centre character arc in this film which is really lovely so go see it for that yeah. and the funny thing for this film is that when it has language it actually seems to it hits so hard in a weird way because it doesn't it is a even though it's a 15 you know r-rated comedy it's not one that goes insane and, and when the characters use language they actually really mean it and that's mm. powerful on that note i might move to my recommendation of the week which is boys in the hood um which lovely segue um, yeah exactly i mean it's seamless completely Boys in the Hood is a 1991 movie directed by John Singleton, starring Cuba Gooding Jr. and a really, really young Lawrence Fishburne and Ice Cube. And it follows Cuba's character, Trey, navigating his adult life in in the streets and, and like working out what kind of black man he wants to be under the guidance of his very, very sensible and very intelligent father called Furious Styles, played by Lawrence Fishburne. And also with the companionship of his childhood friends, one of them is Ice Cube, who plays Doughboy or Darren. And... That I, it was completely not what I expected at all. I basically thought it was going to be to do with, you know, this tension between Trey trying to be an up, up tight, up smart like character, well dressed and trying not to be a gangster in comparison with all his friends who were gangsters. And there's that element of that. But what is so interesting is that Trey's character has so much charisma, and I thought he'd be the sort of shy nerd guy who has a lot of interest but can't express it and. The comedy there would be, you know, how he's exposed to the gangster world. But it was very different because it felt really authentic in terms of showing how they were growing up and what they were surrounded by and their cultural influences. So I really recommend it. it it's kind of, it, it's, it feels like one of the most 90s movies you could possibly see. Like the soundtrack is just absolutely glorious. Like the classic combination of sort of piano and strings just feels like that. Um, was that little commercial, like anti-drug commercial that Michael B. Jordan did, which is like, yeah. the drugs kids, like, stop it, get some help. Like, that music that's backtracking him is basically just the whole movie. And it just is really heartfelt and has a really authentic personality in terms of how it treats its characters. So recommend that, and, and I bring it in because of the language. You know, there's a lot of foul language and lots of drinking, lots of violence. Um, but it weirdly really earns it. And, and the movie is mainly about future prospects mm-hmm. and what kind of people they're going to be and whether they can go to university and be sportsmen or real stars or just 
upstanding citizens. Yeah, I, I mean, Boys in the Hood has had a massive legacy, particularly on, on black film in America. Films since or during that time, you had like Boys to Men and Friday. And then even more recently, you have like Straight Outta Compton, which it has similar inspiration. So that is a film film to watch. And also just looking at like the legacy of African-American cinema, it's a very pivotal piece in seeing how the genre sort of diversified. So good, good pick, good pick. Uh, Shall I move on to mine? Go for it, yeah. My one isn't so much a recommendation as a film that is both big at the moment, I guess, and I have seen considering we haven't done a blockbuster in a, in a little while in the last couple of weeks i went to go see x-men dark phoenix um uh, <laughs> last week which is directed by simon kimberg of course as anyone is familiar with the recent fox disney merger that happened start of this year the fox x-men franchise is coming to its own swift end um, and this is the last film in the series if you don't count the weird new mutants film that's supposed to be coming out in August, but no one's heard anything about. Now, this film is kind of a second film adaptation of the Dark Phoenix storyline of Jean Grey from the comics, the first one being, of course, X-Men The Last Stand, which the less said about that film, the better. Now, this film, as I agree with many critics, is marginally better than that adaptation, but that is saying very, very little it is boring it fizzles out in the most tedious way possible and you think that a film like this would actually be given more creative liberties because it has no wider universe to keep building up in the same way that marvel or even dc have but it doesn't it's rather just like all right let's get this over with and we phone it in a bit sophie turner's performance is fine i guess i mean she's always never been the most emotive character when it comes to Jean Grey and for someone who has a supposedly world destroying power you'd think that she'd show a bit more emotion which is a bit frustrating uh, it feels as if the rest of the cast the ensemble cast of Jennifer Lawrence uh, Michael Fassbender, James McAvoy, Nicholas Holt among others would they, it feels like they phoned it in a little bit they, they, I, I don't want to be a cynic and say it's for the paycheck but it, they, I don't doubt that they were paid a lot of money to be in this last film there are some nice visual moments like some of the action at the end is better than your traditional x-men film but i've always felt that like the cgi and and action in x-men films has always been lesser than like marvel even though that they've been making the films at the same time so should have the same techno technology available to them x-men has always gone down a more practical path uh, in terms of their effects and sometimes that's paid off when the earlier films were trying to create cool like visuals that weren't able to be achieved using visual cgi special effects and i always liked that because it felt a bit more like real um but i mean i was just a bit disappointed with this film but then again i don't think you should really go into it with particularly high hopes and also there's a new character in the form of jessica chastain's odd creature character the less said the better just jessica chastain's in this movie yeah i'm a huge fan yeah, of her yeah you think she'd add a point of like interest to this final film but she just blends in with all of the x-men murkiness I'm just hoping Marvel does it better, which I, I assure they, they can do. I mean, if the Spider-Man joint venture with Tom Holland was anything to go by, they can do really well. But that, X-Men and, and Fantastic Four, I guess it's the, the third time's a try for Fantastic Four <laughs> and second time for X-Men. Mm. Go see it, I guess, just as like a swan song goodbye, send mm. it off with a little salute. But other than that, it's, it's nothing to write home about. I've heard that ultimately Logan should have been the end and yeah. should have been the final film in that well, franchise. yeah. I mean, I really like Deadpool 2. If they'd, could have, if they'd got that out 
before Logan than I would say, but Logan feels like it has a stronger element of finality. This film feels like it goes out with a fizzle. It's a kind of mercy killing yeah. instead of a triumph. Mercy thing. killing is the best way to describe it. But it's like, um, sorry to get too referency, but it's like in It, he, Mike's got the gun to shoot the calf. It's like it's, it's like they should have done that to the franchise about two years ago. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Well, a, a, a sad note to end the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, like you said, here's hoping for the future. You know, Marvel can pick it up, pick up the baton and see where it takes it. Yeah. Oh. I mean, I, I, I never want to like rest in my laurels and just go, yeah, let that studio deal with it. Like I want independent creative minds constantly making that. But it feels as if Marvel are supporting those kind of people in a way that not many other blockbusters superhero mm film companies are so here's hoping i guess it always ends with marvel yes there we are. um right okay thank you so much for listening yeah. this week and we'll hope to see you very soon see you guys yeah. bye bye you've been listening to oxide film thank you and good night <laughs>